the church and salvation. We're on that overall general topic. But today is the teaching of God's people. If there is something that is lacking in our culture, in our society, and in the church, and we're beginning to see more and more of it, is the missing of God's word in the life of God's people. The teaching of God's people. Last week I shared with you, or two weeks ago I shared with you, I was pondering this thing about what took place for 400 silent years. What took place? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you that, Lord, that you're going to meet with us and you're going to minister to us. And you're going to speak to our hearts. And, Lord, we come not to hear from flesh and blood, but hear from the Spirit of the living God. To look into your word and explore your word. To have a deeper understanding of you and to grow closer to you. Help us, Lord, I pray, to desire your word as the deer patteth after the waterfall, that, Lord, we will thirst for it, we will hunger for it, we will desire it. May you truly minister to us this morning. And we'll give you the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. During that 400 years of silence, it was not that there were not activity going on. There's a lot of religious activity going on. The issue was, in that 400 years, there was not a prophet from God that showed up. During that 400 years, Man was left to himself in a sense to devise and to move forward in a relationship with God that was not being directed by God, but by man. So the conclusion would be there was not really a relationship. There was religion taking place. And when you look at that 400 years of silence, you begin to see different things prop up. And man is still on this journey of trying to be a religious person through his own thoughts, through his own imagination, but no direction from the living God. One of the reasons that the Lord Jesus Christ fell very hard upon the Pharisees is because the Pharisees had the written word. And yet, they somewhat put it to the side and did what? Made up their own 400 and something laws to follow rather than 
the law of Moses or the Torah. The Sadducees didn't have that. They didn't believe in it. They didn't believe in any oral or written thing that God had given. And basically what they felt was natural law. <coughs> the thing that we miss, and I believe we are missing it today, and I believe Satan's is the one who undermines it, is good, sound, biblical teaching of God's word. We are living in a culture and a society that is receiving very little education when it comes to reading and the ability to reason. One of the reasons, if you check history, from England to Germany, United States, on, one of the reasons the churches started schools were to make sure their people could at least read for the purpose of being able to read and understand God's word. It was not the secular world that had the responsibility of helping people understand God's word. It was the churches. It was the churches. And that's why when you even come into American history, you find that the church helped plant many educational centers to make sure that the people of God could read and understand what they were reading. The teaching of God's word is important. But you cannot teach a student who cannot read, nor can you reason with them. You can't teach that person. And teaching, in many ways, understand this, unlocks the door. It unlocks the door to the things of God. It unlocks it. But without knowledge, without teaching, the people of God perish because they're not willing or is not there for them or the opportunity is not given to be taught. And that is a crisis today. Question, how well are we being taught? Everybody has to answer that for themselves. How well are you being taught? It's not a thing of just living on yesterday's knowledge and, and what you learned yesterday. The issue is, are you growing in that, and is it expanding for you? How are you using it? 
So the issue is how well are you really being taught? Are you being taught to a point that you yourself are searching? Because one of the things about a student is simply this. The better he or she is taught, the more that they desire to learn, and then they begin to do exactly what Timothy says, that they study for themselves to show themselves approved of God, rightly dividing the Word of God, because they desire to know more. Not just what the teacher is stating, but they are designed to go deeper. That's what happens with good, sound teaching, that people want to know more. They want to grasp for more. And understand this about teaching. Teaching should not only be a recording where you're only repeating what the teacher said, but that you yourself have expanded and have even went further than the teacher in seeking the information and the truth of it and the application of it. The second part of that question is this. Do we believe what we are being taught? See, many people today in church sit in church and they hear, but they really don't believe. Why? Because they don't apply it to their life. Church is a good thing to do, yes. Church is a good place to come, yes. Church is a good thing as far as attitude and a custom and a tradition. But if it's not teaching, and if it's not seeing its people desiring to be taught, then it becomes just a waste of time. A waste of time. Because teaching is for development. Teaching is for enriching one's life. Teaching is to cause one to progress and to move forward in life. It is not to stalemate or cause one to go backwards. Do we really believe what we're being taught? And if we really believe it, have we integrated it into our lives that we live it? That we're living it? That we're living it? One of the failures in the lives of people you can see very quickly who say that they are Christians is the lack of progress. Lack of improvement in their life. The lack of not moving or going forward in life. The lack of taking a step of faith and believing because you're trusting God's word. If Peter would have never trusted God's word, he had never stepped out of the boat. And the first thing that you have to be willing to do to progress in your life is take a step in a different direction in which you are basically going and trust God and not yourself. And teaching brings you to the place where you're able to step out in faith no matter what your circumstances because oftentimes we allow our circumstances of life to develop who we are 
rather than the word of God developing us into the people God wants us to be. Paul's statement in Acts is something to behold, but yet very difficult to get your arms around. In Acts 20, 27, Paul makes this statement. The NIV and the King James reads it. It's a little bit different. But he says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. And in the King James it simply says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Now in that statement there's a richness there. Because what Paul is saying, To the best of my knowledge, I've given unto you all that I know of God. I poured it out to you. I've given you all the counsel that Jesus has taught me, that the Holy Spirit has taught me. I've given it unto you. And when you read all what Paul writes, he covers quite a few subjects. And Paul is saying, I've given this to you, all the counsel, all the will of God. For who? For his people. Not to the world, but for his people. He's given the whole counsel. But it's like hiring a lawyer who's going to advise you in legal areas, but you're not going to follow the advice that he gives <laughs> It's like going to the doctor. The doctor is telling you, this is what you need to do, but you're going to pay him, but you're not going to do what he says do. It's asking people to help, but you're not willing to reach out and grab hold to that help that they're willing to render unto you. And Paul says, For myself, I'm free of this. That I have proclaimed to you all the will of God. All the counsel of God. And that's where the church should be. That we know that we are doing everything we can do to teach in every area of life that the people of God might progress in those areas of life. That they might mature and that they might grow in those areas of life. What happened during that 400 years? The Essenes started at least two decades, two two centuries, I'm sorry, two centuries before Christ ever came on the scene. They were a spiritual and mystic type group. They were a group that sometimes is like the church, totally separated from the world. And Christ makes it very clear. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. But he didn't want us out of the world, or he would have took us the moment that we accepted him. But we're in the world to do a work. We're in the world. To be able to show people that there is a living God that makes a difference in your life. 
We're in the world to share with people about the love of Jesus Christ and what he can do. The Essenes, they were people who took their philosophy from the Stoics, which came from the Greeks, and the Pythenians, the philosophy of the transmigration of souls. The soul just moves through the universe. It never dies. It just moves from one time to another time. The transgression of the souls and the movement of it. That seems a Jewish sect two centuries before Christ ever came on the scene. May have been much larger at one time than what it was when Christ was born. But here's one of the important teachings of God's people or assumed to be important. Why? Because there was no prophet to declare God's word. And when there's no prophet or no man of God to declare or a people of God that will stand up for God's word, people will follow anything. And we're living in that day where people follow anything because the people of God refuse to stand up and do the will of God and live it out. Then you move to the scribes. The scribes go all the way back to the time of David and Solomon. It may before then, but they begin to be records with David and Solomon. Describe the Hebrew Sephar. Root word is to write. Had three basic meanings. To write, to set in order, and to count. And the reason they counted because they wanted to make sure they had every tilt, every dot, every word, every letter that was given to Moses as they copied. And if there was something missing as they counted, then they had to go back and find that. Have you ever been to treasurer's office with your a nickel off, a dime off, or a dollar off, and you got to do what? Go back and find where that missing part is at. They were to write they were to set in order, and they were to count the scribes. And the scribes were there during the times of, of, of Jesus. And oftentimes they also called the lawyers, the scribes, the lawyer. Why? Because he knew the set order of God's rule. And that is taking place. But again, no God. No God that is speaking. No God who has sent a prophet. 
And man is doing, in a sense, his own thing in this thing called religion. And then the Sadducees. The Sadducees were those, as I explained earlier, who did not believe in the writings of Moses and would not accept it and would not believe in the oral statement, for they believed that God had no way to ever spoken. And the Sadducees did not believe in death. They did not believe in resurrection of the dead. And the whole part, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. The only thing they really believed in was just this present life. Do we have that philosophy still around today? That all that people believe in is in this present life. There's nothing after this. There's nothing after this. And the whole process is that they themselves just wouldn't believe. Go to Acts 23 and verse 8. Acts chapter 23 and verse 8. Let me get my eyes adjusted. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are neither angel nor spirits. The Sadducees say. And there are people today who say there's nothing after this life. And they believe it. And that's how they live. Because they believe there's nothing after this life. And the Sadducees take place before Christ ever comes on this scene. They are there. And then you move on to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are believed to be one of the older sects, but yet they also believe to come out of the Maccabeans. And you can go all the way back to there and you can search it from Judas, Matthias as being a priest and so forth. And they became the ones who would be the upholders and the keepers of the writings of Moses and what God had said. But again, God has been quiet for 400 years. So from that, they formed their own interpretation using their own imagination and write up over 400 and something new rules that the people should follow. Not that God had said it, but that flesh and blood have said it. And that their rules became a much more important rule than God's. And Jesus truly came down awful hard on the Pharisees. Turn to Matthew 15. And the whole process, he comes hard on them because they have something but won't use it. Understand something. You have something. The question is, are you using it? You have the word of God. But are you using it? Start with me in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites. 
you never really hear Hindus being called hypocrites or Buddhists being called hypocrites or Muslims being called hypocrites. What is the main group you usually hear being called hypocrites? Christians. Isn't that something? We have something, but we won't use it. We're teaching something, but we won't live it. And we are called oftentimes hypocrites because people know that, in a sense, we have what we say is the truth, but then we won't follow it. And he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips. And don't we do that in many of our services? We have a praise time. We have a joyous time rejoicing in the Lord and praising him and raising hands and and just going on. And believe me now when I say this, I'm not against that if you really know what you're doing. Not against that. God is worthy to be praised. But I doubt sometimes that the people really know who they're praising, who they're worshiping. What's causing all this to happen? This is not about just a good feeling time. This is not about cartoons where you're just letting it hang out and just doing your thing. It's about honoring him and praising him and worshiping him and acknowledging him. And he says to them in that text, he says, boy, yeah, you honor me with your lips. But on Monday, or as soon as you're out of church, as soon as you get through them doors, but their hearts are far from me. It doesn't take long from praising him to being interacted with this world in such a way that it denies him. And we lose sight of that. And part of that, I believe, because of the teaching that takes place. They worship me in vain. They are doing something, aren't they? We're worshiping. But it's empty. It's empty. It's void of the real knowledge of God and the presence of God. There's something happening yet because they're worshiping. Well, what's happening up here? Most people come to church to have a time of happiness and joy. Really don't come to church to learn and to change your mind, to change your heart, to change an attitude, to step up in knowledge. And he says, yes, you're worshiping, but it's vain. It's empty. You're doing something, but it's to no avail. And for as many churches as we have in the United States today, 
the things that are happening in America, the things that's happening in some of our city, the things that are happening in some of our community, because of all the churches we have, something's wrong. Because it seems like it's all to no avail. To no avail. And he says, yes, they worship me in vain. Now catch this other part and then you examine it in your own heart. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Every now and then I'll have somebody come up to me about being a cupbearer. Or they are a bearer for the pastor. I can carry my own little case. I don't need Melvin following me around carrying my case. And if that ever happened, I hope Melvin get away from me. See? See? I, I don't need Vic following me around. You know, getting me a cup of water, doing this, doing that. You know, I don't need a, as they say, an armor bearer. I don't need that. And sometimes these young guys will say, well, I'm an armor bearer for my pastor. I'm an armor bearer. Well, what does that mean, you're an armor bearer? Well, whatever he needs, I get it. For, uh, whatever he has to carry, I, I, I carry it for him. I'm there to always assist him. Show me that in the scripture. We're teaching the precepts of man rather than that of God. And then when we teach the precepts of men, we weaken the Christian believer. We weaken that person. And he says, their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, Jesus' ministry really starts off with teaching. The earliest that we find him doing that is in this question-answer type thing. And remember, in question-answers, you're teaching. You're teaching. You're teaching. One of the best things that can happen in your life is when your kids start asking you questions. You're teaching when your neighbor is asking you questions. You're teaching when your colleague at work is asking you a question. You're teaching when somebody out on the street asks you something. You're teaching. But you can't teach what you don't know. But you are teaching at that point. So the earliest we find Jesus in this area of teaching is in Luke chapter 2. Turn there with me. Because he's there. He's with men who are much older. Now, understand something. You don't have to be old to teach. You don't have to be old to teach. You can be six years old and you can teach. Kaylee can teach her parents. But she has to be willing to what? Dig in her devotional time 
and hear what God is saying. And she can teach her dad. She can teach her mom. She can teach her brother. Her brother can teach. As a family, we teach each other in a sense. You don't have to be old to teach. But you have to desire knowledge. And you have to desire to be taught in order that you might teach. Wouldn't it be great if our teachers didn't have to go to school to be taught how to teach? Just by age, when you're 18, you just start teaching? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great that somebody don't have to go to school to learn calculus? Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to go to school to learn algebra? Whatever you put on the board was right. Wouldn't that just be wonderful? And sometimes we want to think of God's word that way. Whatever I think of, as long as it has a sense of spirituality, then I'm right. And can be just as wrong as can be. And it says in Luke chapter 2, it says in verse 41, Every year his parents went up to Jerusalem for the feast and the Passover. When he was 12 years old, boy, he's found some place teaching at 12 years old. Suppose as a church, if we could develop children that by the time that they're 12 years old, they are really discussing God's word. They are really answering questions for their peers of God's word. That they're sitting down with older men discussing the things of God. We can't get young men to sit down with us anymore. But yet, here's Jesus sitting with an older group of men that are perceived to be wiser and more knowledgeable. And yet, he's there. Drop down into verse 46 with me. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. Where was he? Among teachers. Jesus loved to be among teachers. If you want to be taught, you have to desire to be among people who can teach you. Nobody can make you learn. Nobody can force you to learn. It's something that has to take place inwardly that I want to learn. One time I wanted to learn that piano. And, and, and I just wanted to learn how to play it for I could play my own Christian songs and that I could put a tune to whatever I sing because I make up a lot of my own songs as I go along. And I was doing well until someone else said, well, the three kids ought to be learning that too. Well, all of us can't learn and, and pay for that at the same time. So somebody had to drop out for the other three. 
can learn. You know. But the desire was there. The wanting was there. And you have to desire to be with someone who will teach you. So the teacher I found became their teacher. And where is he at? He's sitting with teachers. Now, listen to what takes place, what's following, because it's so important. Here is Jesus, who ought to be saying to the teachers, y'all be quiet for a little bit. Let me teach you. Rather, the following word after teaching, sitting with the teacher, the following word says, listening. A good teacher will always listen to the students for that they know what they need to teach. A good listener learns from the people they're around what knowledge is needed. What knowledge is needed. So the first thing is listening. Jesus didn't go in there and say, Hey, I've arrived. I just come down from heaven. I got all the latest news. He went in among teachers and he listened. Now understand something. These teachers most likely only had the information of the last 400 years or the last newest information of their generation. Yes, they had the stuff of Moses. But now God is ready to progress. We're going to move on. We're going to turn the page in a sense. And Jesus listens. And then something else happens. He listened to them. And asking them questions. Asking them questions. Asking them questions. Why? What do you think you know? See, I want to know what you think you know. I was in California this week, and Wednesday started the uh, high holidays for Hindus. And the family I was with were India. Many of you heard me talk about Hamali, Himali is what we call it. And I was out to see her mom and dad and visit time with them. But it was starting their high holiday, a Ra coming back, because he comes back every 15 years to check on his kingdom. And it's a holiday in which you leave all the lights on in the house and you light up the outside of the house and you have this big festival and so forth because Ra's coming back. And they celebrated for four days. Well, Tom, I feel cheated. Because we believe Jesus is coming back. But I don't celebrate for four days. <laughs> I don't get ready for four days. It's a lifetime of getting ready for his return. And that 
Just like you're looking for Ron to come, I'm looking for Jesus to come. But when he comes, I'm going to go with him. Because he's not going to come back in another 15 years. <laughs> I'm going to go with him. But first is to listen, to hear the excitement of theirs, to learn a little bit more about what they do and so forth. And then to share a little bit. Now, because this young girl who spent a year with us and came to church here with us, her husband still listens to Tony Evans. Her husband loves Charles Stanley. Is God working? And guess what? Her daughter is at Boston University and one of her understudies is theology. (laughs) Whether it's just for knowledge or whether God is working by leading (laughs) little bit by little bit. But her dad said, you know, a lot of that started Pastor Brown with you. (laughs) It starts a process of learning, of broadening, seeking, wanting to know more. Go to Matthew 4, 17. Matthew 4, 17. Because, see, Jesus was this teacher. And one of the things that the church got to get back to is to do everything it can do to teach. Teach about marriage. To, to teach about well, that little thing that we had with Melvin and Lynn here, the spring break thing, is to have a time of teaching. The thing that Melvin does halfway through the year is that teaching time. How much can we do in teaching and constantly keeping teaching before you? Constantly challenging you to learn. And understand something. Teaching will do one or two things. It will draw you or it will chase you away. It's going to do one or two things. It will draw you or it will chase you away. So in Matthew 4, 17, he simply says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach or to teach repentance and the kingdom of heaven is near. He began to teach them. Now, if you take the thing of repentance, that's huge. Now, what's much huger than that is to begin to teach about the kingdom of God. And it says, boy, he began to teach. He began to teach. He began to teach. Then when you go over to Luke 4.15, he says something else here. So in 4.15, He talks about the thing that he says. Let me get there. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He taught in their synagogue and everyone praised him. Was he teaching something new? Was he teaching something different? He was broadening their mind. Guess what? They hadn't heard from God for 400 years. And they were ready to hear. 
they were ready to hear. They were ready to be taught. So whenever Jesus went somewhere, it's not that he knocked on all the doors and told the folks, I'm having a meeting down by the lake. Hey, I'm going to be at this synagogue on this day at this time. Because of the teaching that he put before the people, they wanted to hear it. And they came out. Our churches used to be overflowing not because of so-called great, great preachers, because all the entertainment of this world was not around them. And they desired to hear God's word. So we had record numbers of people in church because they wanted to hear God's word and be taught it. And that still has to happen today. If you come to church really for any other reason than God's word, hear me now, it's idolatry. Because it's before Christ. It's before Christ. It's before his word. If you come for any other real reason than to hear his word and be taught his word, then it's idolatry. And we need to understand that. Jesus' ministry was not independent of his Father or the Spirit. When we do ministry, it should never be independent of the Father and the Spirit. Ministry has to include both the Father and the Spirit. It has to be in a manner that's going to uplift Jesus Christ. It has to be that it is the Father's will imparted then unto you by the Spirit of God and the enablement of the Spirit using you to advance the will of the Father. That the Spirit uses you to advance the will of the Father. That you are not just out here independently doing something. And what you're doing sometimes can be very well, very good, but the thing that you want to look for is this, is the evidence of God's presence, the evidence of God opening doors, the evidence of God being involved, the evidence of God somehow burning in your heart that you can't let go of this thing and that God somehow is pressing this thing and moving it forward. Because if it's independent of God, oh, it may last for a little while. But understand this principle about God. God wants things to go on and on and on and on. It's not about the person who starts it. It's not about the people who builds it. It is about the presence of God being involved in that thing that moves on and on and on and on from generation to generation to generation. That is the work of God. 
If it only lasts your lifetime, I'm not going to say it's not what God wanted because God brings things to an end too. But in most cases, when God really works, it goes much further than just one lifetime. It is sustained by God, not by man. In Matthew 3.16 is the baptism of Jesus. But something that is very unique there that shows up, and that is the Holy Spirit. So in 3, and in verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At the moment, heaven was open, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. John the Baptist was able to witness this, that the Spirit came down like a dove. Why? The work that Jesus was getting ready to enter into was not Jesus stepping into it all by himself. But he's involved in it with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. They are both there. Now what you have to understand is this. When you're in ministry, the Father and the Spirit and Jesus, the Godhead, is all there. It's not about just you doing it. When you're doing it, you're going to quickly quit it. You're going to quickly leave it. And understand this, when you do ministry for God, God will support it, but you need to understand this. Satan's going to be there also involved. He's going to do all he can do to hinder it. He's going to do all he can do to discourage. He's going to do all he can do to frustrate. He's going to do all that he can do to stop it and put the fire out. And it says, boy, he saw this. Now turn over with me to Luke 4, 14 through 15. He says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of what? The Spirit. He returned to Galilee in the power of what? Of the Spirit. That the Spirit of God is there to assist the Spirit of God is there to do ministry with him. Understand this because, see, we see it in the ministry of Jesus. Every time Jesus did a miracle, every time Jesus spoke, every time Jesus did something, you didn't hear about the Holy Spirit being there. But the Spirit was there. The Spirit was there. The Spirit was empowering. The Spirit was strengthening. The Spirit was opening doors. The Spirit was letting him walk through crowds who wanted to stone him. The Spirit was giving wisdom from the Father even to the Son. The Spirit's there. And when you do ministry, you want to look for the hand of the Spirit of God being involved. You want to ask yourself, is this just something I want to do? 
Or is it a passion and burning in your heart? Is this just something that's going to last just for a little bit? Or is this something that's going to take off and keep a rolling? The whole process is that you yourself have to recognize the Spirit of God lives in you. And maybe you need to get to the side and you need to say, Father, I yield to your spirit. And whatever you want to do in my life and through me, may your Holy Spirit equip me. May your Holy Spirit lead me and guide me. I'm here to be used of your spirit and I will not quench him. I will not deny him. And though I may not understand it, if he prompts me, I will do it. The prompting for many old saints, we used to call it, when the anointing falls upon you. Because <laughs> when the anointing fell upon you, you couldn't do anything else. And then John is the only place that we read things over in Second John about the anointing of God falling upon you. But see, you are filled with the Spirit of God. The question is, have you learned to die to self that the Spirit might do His work in glorifying Jesus Christ? And that whole process is something that you and I, we have to learn. Go to John chapter 4 and verse 34 because we want to really catch this picture uh, of teaching. and Then we're going to look next week at some of the teaching that went on between Jesus and his apostles. Because, see, Jesus knew these men had a religious background. But having a religious background is not good enough to step out in ministry for the Lord. You got to have the word of God hid in your heart that when any man asks you about why you're doing this or approach you about the reason that this is being done, that you can give them a solid biblical answer that is from God. And that's why. And what you're able to quickly say is this here. Look at it. This is what God has done. For the glory don't stop where? Here. It goes on up there. And you're able to do exactly what John the Baptist talks about. I must learn to what? Decrease while he's able to what? Increase. So in John 4, 34, he comes back and he says... Let me get there. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, is that your will? To do the will of the one who is sending you? To accomplish what the one who is sending you would have you to accomplish? And see, the only way you find out what God wants you to accomplish is spending time with God. 
spending time with him in prayer. Seeing God open up doors, seeing what God's doing. And understand this, God will always be ahead of you. God will always be ahead of you. You may not know how you went from here to there. But that's because God has already laid the course out for you. He's ahead of you. You just have to be willing to walk by faith rather than by what? Sight. And oftentimes we won't move unless we can see it and understand it. And God is saying, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Every one of us have a godly, divine purpose of why we're living today. I don't care what's going on in your life, how old we may be, what aches we may have, what our circumstances may be. God gave me life today, and he gave me life with a divine purpose that he wants to accomplish in me and through me. So when you look at 519, he simply says it in this fashion. Oh, boy. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He's not independently doing the work that he's doing. That he can just simply say, oh, I'm just here to honor the Father, glorify the Father. One of the things we do in ministry oftentimes, we do something, but it's all being done in the flesh because we think it's the right thing to do rather than being burdened in the heart. Now, one of the things that shares with you that you'll know that it's a burden of the heart, when you hear talk like this, I need 10 more people to go with me. That's not a burden of the heart. Why isn't everybody doing this? Don't they see it? That's not a burden of the heart. When you have a burden of a heart, you step out in faith doing it, and then God adds the people who will follow and support. He does that. He does that. Let God burden your heart about ministry, but you be praying about ministry. If you're not praying about how you can serve him, how you can be used by him, you're going to launch out independently rather than waiting upon the Lord to lead you and guide you. And he says, I do nothing of myself. Why? He was not independent of the Father or the Spirit. But he was dependent on both. In closing, just take a look at this with me real quick. Because God is a teacher. If you don't understand that principle, that God is a teacher, then you've missed part of the character of God. And there's a reason that God is a teacher. The teacher can never hold you accountable for what he has not taught you. 
The teacher cannot test you over what they really have not taught you or they believe that you have some knowledge of. So God is a teacher in order that he might hold his people accountable whether they learn it or not. He teaches. One of the sad points for the church today is that we don't really teach our youth and parents don't see the importance of teaching our youth. And that is vital. Because in that young mind, why it is not being taught of God, is being attacked by the God of this world in many different ways. So in Deuteronomy 4, and this goes back with Israel, early stages, coming out of Egypt and so forth. And guess what? God knew what his people had learned in Egypt. Now, he knew what they took in with them. He knew what had been by word of mouth. But also remember, why in the time of 400 years in slavery, they didn't have a prophet. They didn't have the teachers. They had what they came in with. And they believed that one day, their Messiah or Savior would come or their Deliverer would come. But they didn't have a lot of knowledge about God. In 4, starting in verse 12 and 14, the Lord says, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire, speaking to Moses. You heard the sound of the words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then write and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach. To teach. He didn't say just go show them the tablets, but to teach the meaning behind what is on the tablets. To teach, to teach, to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now understand, he's teaching them way before they what? enter in. Because he knows the mess in which they're going to enter in. He knows the philosophy and the teaching of where he's sending them. But now God has taken a time to teach his people. He had to erase what they had learned in Egypt. But he had to prepare them for where they were going. God has to erase your past sometime in order for you to see the future but then he has to prepare your mind and your heart for the future. So he's dealing with your past, and then he's also dealing with your future in the same time as he renews your mind and your thinking and your knowledge. And he says to them, to teach the decrees and laws you are to follow that you are to live out. Now, go to Isaiah 
48, and, and, and listen how the Lord is described here. Verse 17. He says, This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God. Catch this. Who teaches. Who teaches who? Who teaches you. Now, catch what follows. Teaches you because I want you to just be a servant to me. I just want you to be somebody who would just be dependent upon me. I'm teaching you because I always want my way in your life. No. Listen to what he says that follows. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. You catch that? I'm teaching you what is best for you. And somebody might say, oh no, he's just pulling, he's teaching us just to do his will, just to be obedient to him. Well, isn't that what's best for me? That's what's best for me. To learn how to obey him and to do his will. That's what's best for me. And he says, I, I'm teaching you because of what's best for you. Over to Jeremiah 32. And in verse 33, he comes down and he says simply, they turned their backs to me and not their faces. Though I taught them again, and look what he emphasizes, and again. Because they turned their backs, because they turned their faces, because the way in which they act, it did not cause me to close my book and stop teaching. I just kept on what? Teaching. Teaching. Why? Because that was what was best for them. That they would learn. Again and again. And they would not listen or respond to discipline. They would not listen. Are we in a world today when people will not listen to the word of God? Are we in a time that God is teaching, 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 but yet there's no ears to hear? In the church, we teach, whether it's two people or 200 people, we teach. And we continue to teach. Why? It is the teaching that is best for the people. Not the rules, not the regulations, not all the... The letter of the law only does one thing, it kills it. But the Spirit gives life. And as the Spirit takes God's Word and brings it into our life, He gives life.
Jesus is a teacher. This, I think, was the drawing card for Jesus. Go to John 7. And this is yet what we are aiming to try to develop here at Aquin Alliance Fellowship is a teaching. A teaching that people desire to hear. A teaching that people want. Because they will see the progress of their own life. A teaching that sets people free from rules and regulations, but yet obedient unto God. A teaching that causes people to progress in life, to grow in life, to be able to move out of failure into victory, to be able to engraft something that is far greater than anything else that they could ever possess. So in that verse 46, it says, No one ever spoke the way this man does, that God declared. Nobody ever spoke the way this man does. That God would develop men and women here that speak in a way that others may not. That will speak in a way that is declaring God's will and God's word. And that if anything attracts people to Aquiline Lions Fellowship, may it be the teaching of the word of God. The teaching of the word. Because if anything else attracts, then Christ is not preeminent. He is secondary. He is secondary. And our goal should be that Jesus Christ and his word is preeminent above all things. That goes on here at Aqua Lions Fellowship. Nothing else is better than God's word. And the teaching of God's word is for the betterment of God's people. And that starts down here. Teaching kids to read. Teaching kids to reason. It starts with just basic education. Because if we don't get involved, and teaching all ages, when we think it's time to teach them the word of God, they're not going to be able to read it. <laughs> they're not going to be able to reason it. They will not be able to understand it. It's a lifelong endeavor of teaching constantly. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, that you desire to teach your people. And even in this late time of the season, for we know not when you're going to return, we believe it's 
soon. We believe, Lord, that the door is about ready to open. But we are mindful also of what you said to Peter and John as they stood watching you being taken up in a cloud. That, Lord, you directed them to occupy till you come. Keep advancing. Keep doing. It's a military term to occupy, to take hold of the area that you're at and transform that. To have control of that area. To occupy there, to live there, to dwell there, and to teach your word there. Lord, help us to occupy. Help us to hold the ground. Help us to transform people in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to educate the minds of people, little, young, and old. Help us not to look at our circumstances, but help us to look at you, O God, and you alone, and believe that, Lord, yet greater things will we do than our Lord and Savior did. Help us to believe that we ask you anything, that, Lord, you will grant it unto us. You will not deny it. If it is for 